Hurstwick Podcast, Episode 1. Hello and welcome to the Hurstwick Podcast, the show where we discuss all things Viking. I am your host, John Davis. Today we have an extra special guest, the manager of Hurstwick himself, Dr. William Short. In addition to his role as manager of Hurstwick, Dr. Short is the author of two books on the Viking Age, five full-length video productions focused on Hurstwick training techniques, as well as the sagas of Icelanders. I asked Dr. Short if he could take some time out of his busy schedule to speak with us, and he graciously obliged. Dr. William Short, welcome to the Hurstwick Podcast. Thank you, John. It's it's really a pleasure to be here uh, on the Hurstwick Podcast. Look forward to, to seeing what becomes of this. So I want to start with a question I hope you're not asked too, too often. What is it about the Viking Age or the Viking people uh, or that period of history that drew you in? John, people do ask me that question, and the answer is not very short. So I'll try to I'll try to condense it at least a little bit. Fair enough. What drew me in, John, was the stories, the stories about the Viking people, the sagas, and especially the sagas of Icelanders. And where this all began was mm, more than 20 years ago now. I discovered that there were these things called sagas, these stories set in Viking Age Iceland. And I read a couple of them and I said, these are really cool. These are interesting stories. These are interesting stories about really interesting people. And I wanted to know more. And I read more of them. And I said, I really want to learn more. And I discovered that there was a summer course at the University of Iceland. And so I went to Iceland and took the course and just fell in love with the stories, with that whole period in history, the Viking Age, and also with the place and the people, the Icelanders of modern day Iceland. And when I came back home, I really wanted to do more of this. Uh, I wanted somehow to, to do hands-on sorts of Viking stuff, whatever that meant. And I didn't really know what it meant either. And so I went looking for some sort of group that would allow me to do Viking stuff, hands-on experimental stuff, so that I could learn more about these people that inhabit the sagas. And I found this organization called Hurstwick, which had just been started by two former SCA guys who, who wanted to do more than what the SCA uh, would do with Vikings. And they had started up Hurstwick, and there were a couple of members, and I joined. And shortly after I joined, I realized or I learned that these folks had had a really serious weapons injury just before I joined. I mean, serious is in hospitalization. Oh. I said, oh, no, 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 we can't do this. Uh, I will find a better way for us to train. So I started looking and looking and looking. What I found was the newly formed Higgins Armory Sword Guild that was looking at the fight books from the medieval and renaissance times. Now, um, it didn't really allow me to do that much Viking fighting, but it put me in a group of people who were very interested in researching combat. So there were these two parallel paths going on. There was Hurstwick, a reenactment group, and then there was this research group going on at uh, Higgins Armory. Now, Hurstwick pretty much fell apart not too many months after I joined. The two founders both left. Uh, one because of marriage, one because of divorce, and things fell apart pretty quickly. 
Um, the, the remainder of us decided that we really couldn't continue as an active group. But I had created a website and the website was getting a lot of hits. So I continued uh, uh, building the website and continued using the Hurstwick name that way. Now at Higgins, I had met a fellow called Matt Marino. Matt also shared my intense interest in the Viking Age. And together we started doing some Viking training through the auspices of the, the Higgins Armory. And that led to doing Viking combat demos at the Higgins Armory for the museum guests. And that allowed our research to grow and grow and grow. And from that research came the book uh, that I wrote, Viking Weapons and Combat Techniques, where we tried to use some of these later medieval manuals and Renaissance manuals to reconstruct how it is that Vikings fought. It was a good start. But ultimately, later on in our research, we realized that was probably not not the best thing. Now, this interest in the in the combat and in the weapons was only a part of what Hirschwick was doing. It was only a part of what uh, Matt Marino and I were doing because we had an interest in a lot of other Viking things. For instance, Matt Marino is intensely interested in this ancient woodworking uh, skill. And so he had a lot of skills there. So he was making a whole lot of stuff out of wood. Uh, he was doing fascinating research with uh, mail, making, uh, trying to understand how mail was made in the Viking Age, and on and on and on. Now, shoes, another example of something he was very interested in, making Viking shoes. And so there was all this other things besides the combat going on. And as Matt and I were doing these demos, we'd get more people and more people coming to join us uh, in our work at Higgins Armory. And eventually we started a fairly formal uh, training program there where we met first once a week and then twice a week and then three times a week to do training. And more and more and more people came in, especially as we started doing the introductory workshops where the general public could come in and train with us and get a sense for what it is we do. And, and some of those people joined us on a regular basis. I'd like to drill down a little bit on that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a bit. Um, because uh, the introductory workshop is actually how I got involved in this stuff. And um, in a, if I recall, uh, in addition to fighting workshops, there was also entire Viking days at Higgins where crafts and dress and lectures on culture were being done and things of that nature. And do you think that Hurstwick started to grow uh, more from the combat training exercises or from the cultural stuff that was going on at the Higgins? Or was it a combination of both? John, I think it was a combination of both. And there are some people who were intensely interested in the combat and didn't care at all how shoes were made. And then there are people who weren't very interested in the combat, but were intensely interested in the fabric arts or in some other aspect of the Viking society and culture. And so, you know, we at Hurstwick embraced all of these people. Anyone with an interest as Vikings is someone we want as a part of our organization. And so Hurstwick grew from both of those. So some people might have an intense interest in the combat, some not so much, but we were happy to, to take all of them because they all contributed to our growth and our increase in knowledge about the Viking age. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, we were doing a lot of different programs, mostly research related programs so that we could learn more about how Vikings fought and use their weapons. An example of that is making test cuts to animal carcasses with sharp replica weapons so that we had a better understanding of, of how these weapons really worked in flesh and bone. And when we made the cuts, did the results match what we read in the sagas? Uh, so that's an example of the kind of deep research we're doing. 
like forensic research. Uh, in, in, exactly. In yeah. At the yeah. same time, we were we were interacting with forensic specialists, looking at skeletal remains of people from the Viking Age, uh, especially people who had battle injuries, to assess what these weapons could do. And also, at this time, we were getting more and more involved with using the sagas as our main source of information. And so we were doing a lot of research and I guess what I would call the literary side of things, mm -hmm. you know, doing comparative literary studies between the sagas of Icelanders and other medieval Icelandic material to get a sense for whether we could trust this material or not. Did the saga authors know what they're talking about when they talked about combat? And the answer was seemed to be yes, basically yes. Um, you know, there's, there's inaccuracies, there's fantasies, there's anachronisms in the sagas of Icelanders. But by and large, when they talked about fighting, it seemed like these authors knew what they were talking about. And so we tend to believe, much more so than we did some years ago, that the, saga, the fights in the sagas represent realistic Viking Age fights. And so that became a huge source of information for us. That was a big boost to our research. Is there um, something about, and, this, and if this is a terrible way to put it, please uh, correct me, uh, but is there something about uh, Icelandic character or maybe Viking Age character that, or post-Viking Age character, that suggests that there were certain things that a saga author couldn't embellish without being called out, for example, by his uh, peers or his uh, family or yeah, whoever, so was, whoever John, his audience was. It, yeah, there's, there's two parts to, uh, to your question, and I'm going to answer both of them. First of all, it seems like the literary people of the Viking Age and the time after were the Icelanders. And we have no idea why it was, but during the Viking Age, so the pre-literary period, it mm -hmm. was the Icelanders who were the poets all throughout Scandinavia, the court poets to the kings all throughout Scandinavia. It was the Icelanders. And then when the church arrived, bringing with it writing in a written culture, it was the Icelanders who embraced it vigorously and started writing in their own language rather than using the, the Latin that was in use throughout the rest of Europe. They wrote in Icelandic, and they wrote all kinds of things, genealogies, law books, uh, the myths, uh, poetry, and they created this brand new literary form, the Sagas of Icelanders. Now, we know that there is exaggeration in fantasy in the sagas, no doubt about it. Sure. Some of these things that are described there are too hard to believe. Mm-hmm. But we have several things going on. First of all, we know we have this, this book written by Snorri Sturluson called the Snorra Era. And what it is, you know, in a nutshell, it's a textbook to teach people from the 12th century, early 13th century, how to write poetry. Mm -hmm. Because the skaldic poetry, which flourished in the Viking Age, as well as later on, was thought to be the highest form of art. And so even people well after the Viking Age appreciated and wanted to be able to understand the skaldic poetry. So Snorri wrote a, a textbook to help the people of his age uh, be able to read and write this kind of poetry. And one of the things he says is never exaggerate Interesting. in the writing because exaggeration is mockery. That is what he says. Now, then we look at the law codes from the Viking Age, and we see that mockery is a heinous offense. If you mock someone, they are free to kill you for your mockery. So if we add these together, it says that if a saga author exaggerates something, it's possible about, about the people who lived back in the Viking Age, 
perhaps their ancestors who are still alive today will take that mockery as an insult and kill the author as a result. That is fascinating. I had never heard that aspect of it before. In my, in, in my mind, I always figured probably these people have really good BS detectors. Um, but <laughs> but it, it, it certainly sounds like there was a, a, a practical and self-preservational reason for uh, not going overboard with these uh, fight descriptions. That's really interesting. Now, the other thing, John, that turns out to be really, really interesting is... You know, we take some of these stories in the sagas that at first glance are just incredible. Literally, not you, you, you can't believe that something like this would happen in a fight. But then we go to the forensics. We look at the skeletal remains from people in the Viking Age, and we see that, hey, in at least one case, what they describe in the saga actually happened. So the sagas have these, these stories where someone was wounded here and here and here and here, but still stood and fought. And then we go look at these skeletal remains and we can see that this fellow actually was. He was wounded here and he was wounded here and he was wounded here. And he was still standing and fighting when the death blow came in, you know, into his head. So it suggests that, uh, you know, some of the things that we read in the sagas that at first glance would not be believable, in fact, actually happened. So it's this combining of, of sources that uh, has allowed our research to advance as far as it has. More after the break. If you're enjoying this podcast, load up your ship and sail over to iTunes or Stitcher or wherever it is you get your podcast and subscribe so you can grab every single episode. And while you're there, you can do us an enormous favor and rate us, or better yet, leave a review. Ratings and reviews make it easier for your friends to find us. And thanks. And we're back. I'm John Davis, and this is the Hurstwick Podcast. My guest today is the manager of Hurstwick, Dr. William Short. So, Dr. Short, where were we? Back a few minutes ago, we were talking about our being in Higgins Armory Museum, and we were doing more and more and more things going on. We had created a series of training DVDs. We had started doing a whole lot of other stuff. But at the same time, you know, I was uh, doing a lot of things in Iceland, uh, interacting with people there, making a lot of contacts there. And we started thinking about uh, the possibility of doing, I think I would call it a, a edutainment or maybe entercation type of video <laughs> combination of entertainment but also education serious uh, uh presentation of some of these great battles of the viking age and so we started thinking about how we might be able to do something like that but we sort of had uh, a big problem arise and that was the museum closed so the museum realized that they were going to have to close their doors, which meant that Hurstwick needed to find a new home. And so we struggled for a while to find a place for us to rent. You know, we felt it was very important for us to continue our research, even though our home base at the Higgins Armory Museum was going to go away. And so we found a place where we could continue our research programs and, in fact, actually expand our research programs. You know, so we made that move, traumatic as it was, but we made the move. And then we started looking into some of these other sorts of video film projects that we wanted to do. Um, this great battles of the Viking Age series, where we find a, a very interesting battle in one of the sagas. And we go to the historic place where that battle actually occurred, where the landscape really hasn't changed much in the thousand years since the, the battle took place. 
we go to that historical location and we recreate the battle for the cameras. We research that very deeply so that we can actually bring it to life in the footsteps of the men and women who fought there a thousand years ago. And so Hirschberg has done that twice now. Uh, the first one was based on uh, the battle that ended the life of the saga hero Gisli Sursum. And that was released two years ago, and we just released, uh, earlier this year, our second one based on the saga hero Gretter the Strong, Gretter Ausnundersen. Gretter's final battle was on a very remote island in the middle of Skagafjord in the north of Iceland. And so we went to this island. We built a Viking house on the top of that island, close to the ruins of Gretter's actual house. So we studied the ruins of Gretter's house, so we had an idea of what that house was. We built the house, we filmed the battle, and tore that house apart in, in doing the battle, because that's what happened in the sagas. And in essence, basically recreated that battle for the camera, showed it to the best of our ability the way it actually happened a thousand years ago. And I think that's an important point in based on the what you've been saying. The You recreated the battle as best you thought it was fought, uh, which is to say, I have to imagine, means that it was not recreated to be showy or Hollywood. It no. was recreated to look more or less as we understand Viking fighting actually occurred. Exactly, John. So we weren't doing Hollywood fighting moves. We were doing saga fighting moves. We were doing the kinds of fighting moves that are documented in the sagas. So it's not even remotely like anything you see on television or in the movies or anything like that. Uh, we feel that it looked very much like what we presented. And in order to do that, we had to do just a whole load of research. We spent over a year uh, doing the, the pre-production planning, the training, the rehearsing, trying things, trying these moves that we read in the sagas. Does it work like this? No. Does it work like this? Well, maybe. Does it work <laughs> like this? Oh, yeah, that finally works. And also, we again, we read about these, these fighting moves in the sagas and we say, that doesn't work. There's no way that can possibly work. So we set it up in the training room. We tried it and we were just shocked at how well some of these things actually work. But there's also the flip side of that is there's moves described in the sagas that we could never make work in the training room. And the example I talk about, or that I'll use, is uh, in Gretter's final battle, his brother is defending him, and the bad guys are all throwing, thrusting their spears into the house, and Gretter's brother just cuts off the spearheads with his sword. And it makes it sound like he's cutting through butter with a hot knife. But no matter what we did in the training room, we could never really make that work. Only under the most ideal conditions were we ever able to cut off a spearhead with a sharp sword in the training room. So we have no idea what's going on. Are we doing it wrong? Was there something wrong with our spear shafts? Maybe our spear shafts being made with modern wood are not the same as they were in the Viking Age. Uh, maybe there's some trick to it, some technique that we never figured out. We have no idea. That is still a completely unknown and unsolved problem because this move of cutting off the spearheads is, is mentioned not only in Greta's saga, but again and again and again in the sagas. You'll see that. So it must be really easy and we just haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> in addition to the, the studies of the saga battles, you've also done training DVDs. That's right. Yeah, that was the first thing we did. And that was ba even back in the Higgins days. You know, what we wanted to do was share with other people who were far from us here in New England what it was we did. And it was, we wanted to make this very easy for other people to try, to test out, and if they liked it, to adopt it in their own training. 
And so we created these, these training DVDs so that people far from us could use our training approach. So that's something else we've done. We think our approach to training is, is something unique that we don't think any other Viking combat group is really using. And we just wanted to, to lay it out step by step so other people could follow it. So we created three of these discs. The first one is, is basic fundamentals. How do you stand? How do you move? How do you cut? How do you defend? And then how do you put it all together? And then the next one is, is advanced uh, combat techniques. Where you just take everything up a couple of notches and start putting it all together. And then the final one is a whole series. I think it was 19 different fighting moves that are described in the sagas where we talk about how it's used in the sagas, then demonstrate it slowly and then demonstrate it in a fight so that you could see how it fit with the rest of the fighting uh, style, if you will, of the Viking Age people. Another aspect of that, uh, of our research that has become more and more important to us is, I guess, what I would call the mindset of the Viking Age fighter. Um, you know, the Vikings had a law code, and that law code has, in some way, survived. It's written down. Yes, it's it's been modified because it was written down quite some time after the end of the Viking Age. But there's certainly Viking elements that still survive in that law code. So we have some idea of their their formal legal system. But in addition to that, there is what I call an unwritten set of rules, uh, rules that they carried in their heart that described or that guided their behavior, uh, their mindset. So it meant that to the Viking fighter, he would say to himself, I can do this and I can do this and I can do this, but there is no way I am going to do this because it is against everything I know. And many of these things that were uh, inviolable would be what I call honor-related. You know, honor was the most valuable thing that these people possessed, far more than, than life itself. Because if you dishonor yourself, not only did you dishonor yourself, but your immediate family, plus all the people who came before you and the people who come after you. So you are dishonoring not only your generation, but what went before and what went after. So honor was more valuable than life. And so having this sense of mindset has really helped our understanding of how these people fought and use their weapons uh, because it gives us some sense of the things that they would do and the things that they wouldn't do. Earlier, you alluded to Herstwick's approach is different from other groups' approach. Could you elaborate on that a little bit? And what do you mean by that? Okay. We want to understand how it is that Vikings fought. Mm -hmm. We don't want to do reenactment combat. We don't want to do sportive combat. We really want to understand how it is they fought. So one approach to that would be, well, let's just give everybody a sharp weapon and let them have at it. <laughs> we are not a suicide club. <laughs> so we want to get as close to their fighting as we can mm -hmm in the 21st century. So there's many things that they would have done without a second thought that we cannot do today because of our current society, our current laws, and on and on and on. But we want to get as close to that as we possibly can. So it means that we, first of all, use a lot of different tools in our training, a lot of different kinds of weapons. Sometimes we use sticks covered with foam if for a certain level of training. Sometimes we'll use basically wasters. 
So, um, you know, blunt synthetic material blades. Sometimes we'll use dull steel in our fighting. It just depends on what it is we want to do. So we're using a wide range of tools depending on what we're doing. And we use a wide range of drills. If there's something that interests us, typically we'll, we'll test it in isolation. We'll look at other sources. We'll look at saga sources. We'll look at forensics. We'll look at every possible thing we can to decide if a particular move makes sense or not for someone in the Viking Age to have used it or not. So we'll test it in isolation. Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't work. Like, you know, the sagas talk about people who threw their spears and their opponents caught the spears, flipped them around and, and threw them right back and killed them. Well, does that work? First of all, does it, does it you know, meet with their mindset? And of course, of course, it meets very nicely with their mindset. This, this idea of killing someone with their own weapon, that's perfect. You dishonor them. That's exactly what you, you want to do when you kill them. And then we try it, you know, with, with very small pressure. You know, can I throw my spear at my sparring partner or my training partner and have him catch it without getting hurt, you know, without breaking a finger or without him saying, ah! And running away. <laughs> can, we, can I throw it at him and have him catch it? Can we try that? Yep, that works. Can I have, throw it at him and have him whip it right back at me? Yep, that works. And so we have a sense that physically it's possible to do this move. Now we need to add pressure. We need to simulate the pressure of real combat. So we'll try to use it in sparring. So we'll do some sparring where we encourage um, trying out this move. Can, you know, we spar and this move is encouraged in some way or another, maybe it gets extra points. Or there's, there's many different ways that we could do this. And if in the pressure of sparring it works okay, then we can say, you know, maybe, maybe it's likely that this is a move that Vikings would have used. You know, it's supported in the sagas. We can physically do it, and there's no problem there. And when we do it under pressure, it still works, and it's still a clever move, and it's still very surprising to the person on the receiving end. So it's it's this kind of approach. Where we're using lots of different sources. Where we're using a uh, step-by-step gradual increase in intensity to test out certain things. Uh, that's what we're trying to do. And, you know, John, maybe the best way to describe it is we are trying to reverse engineer how it is Vikings fought. You know, we know what their weapons are. We can dig them up. We have archaeological examples. We have a really good idea of what a Viking sword is or what a Viking spear is or what a Viking axe is. But we have no idea of how these weapons were used in the Viking Age because these these people, these Viking Age fighters, didn't leave anything behind to tell us. So what Hurstwick is doing is trying to reverse engineer that. We're trying to use all these different sources to try to bring them together and figure out how these weapons were used, how these people fought. And it's, uh, it's, it's been a fascinating research program and uh, you know, still in the early stages, I would have to say. Which is a, a good segue for me to ask you, where do you think Hurstwick is going? <laughs> I mean, when, no, well, let me rephrase that. What's next? I mean, the training is, and research is ongoing. I'm certain there are more video projects in the future, more studies to be done. And uh, well, let me uh, start with another question, actually. Let me just... Uh, okay. What kind of... Is this research becoming visible outside of Hurstwick? Is it um, the... I think so, John. Yeah. So let what's going on. First of all, one of the things Hurstwick wants to do is to have more people. We want more people to be actively involved in Hurstwick. So that means two things. One is growing our home base here in central Massachusetts, central New England, but also having more study groups and affiliate groups. We have these, these study group and affiliate group programs 
that allow people far from us to use our uh, teaching methods and teaching approach and training uh, approach. And so we have a, a couple of them around New England, both in the United States, Canada, and Mexico. And so we'd like to have more of those. We'd like to, to grow that. So we just have more people because the more people we have, the more research that is going on. And the whole point of the study group and affiliate group program is to share that information with all the other Herstrick folks. So as we get more and more people doing this kind of research, I, I hope the, our progress will just get faster and faster. We'll, we'll get more and more results. So that's number one is, is to grow this. Another thing is in order for us to do our research, we need contact with experts. We need, and I think the word that I, I use in my mind is special advisor. We need more special advisors. We have special advisors. Uh, something like a dozen of them now, experts, leading people in their field to advise us on weapons, on manuscripts, on um, many other things related to our research. And we need more of those people. We need more areas that are of great interest to us covered. So we want to grow that. And we just want to do, we just want to expand the field of things that we're interested in. So, for instance, we're very interested in Viking sailing and we're very interested in how Vikings rode their ships. So we did some fascinating research on that, trying to figure out how Vikings rode their ships. It's just, you know, easily a dozen different things like that that uh, we want to do to, to continue our research. You know, not only in combat, but in all the other things that go along with Vikings, you know, all the other aspects of Viking life. This, you know, our focus is on the combat, but our interest is pretty much anything related to Vikings. So now I'll go back to my uh, previous question. Um, yes. Which was, so what's next for Herstwick? John, I have no idea. <laughs> Excellent answer. <laughs> uh, let me try to answer, uh, give you some sense of, of the vision. The vision is we need some growth. Uh, we've got a bunch of very cool projects lined up for the short term. We've got a boatload of projects for the long term that we'd like to do. And we'd like to do another video project. Now, whether it's another saga or whether it's something else, that is yet to be determined. When we did the film for Greta's saga, our most recent production, one of the things we expanded over the previous one is many more interviews with experts, these people who have become our special advisors, people who could tell us about aspects of the sagas that we really don't know too much about, but which help us understand uh, the fighting and the mindset of the people of the sagas. Those interviews turned out, to, turned out to be fascinating, not only you know what we captured on camera, but just talking to these people and uh, learning something about what they know. And so one of the possibilities is more of these video interviews, whether that's a, a short form sort of thing, like a 15 minute interview that gets distributed on YouTube or something like that, or whether it's a collection of these that get distributed as a longer film, we don't know yet, but we, we are just making these fabulous contacts with these very interesting people who have a lot to teach us about the Viking Age and the Viking Age people. So we want to do more of that if we can figure out exactly how to do it. So in answer to your question, John, what's next for Herstrick? We don't know, but 
It seems like the sky is the limit. There's so much to be learned about the Viking Age people. They're really fascinating people. Their culture was a very interesting and a rich culture. They were not hairy barbarians with horned helmets, but they were, were people who had this rich and deep culture, this storytelling, this poetry, many aspects of their culture, which on the surface seemed to be Oh, I hate to use this word, but barbaric are not like that at all. There's there's a lot going on there that's interesting. And so we want to learn about that. That's what Hurstwick is all about. We really want to learn about these people. And so what the future holds is more of this, more research, more trying to understand deeply these interesting people of the Viking Age. Dr. William Short, thank you, thank you, thank you for taking time out to talk to us. Really, really appreciate it. Dr. William Short, manager of Hurstwick, again, thank you. Thank you, John. It's been a pleasure to be here talking with you. And that wraps up episode one of the Hurstwick podcast. If you enjoyed our show, please subscribe. If you just can't get enough of Hurstwick Viking goodness or you want to do more, head on over to our website, hurstwick.com. That's H-U-R-S-T-W-I-C.com. There you will find the podcast show notes, information and schedules for our events, where and when you can join us in our training. And finally, you can obtain excellent swag without having to sail across the North Sea to get it. You'll also find our social media links. We're on Facebook. We're on YouTube. We are on Instagram. We are on Twitter. Like the Vikings, Hurstwick is everywhere. And as you head out into the world from here, remember, all the entrances before you walk forward, you should look at. You should spy out. For you cannot know for certain where enemies are sitting ahead in the hall. The Hurstwick Podcast is produced with technical assistance from Dee Bonner. Our executive producers are Dr. William Short and Reina A. Hurstwick Podcast is a production of Hurstwick LLC. I am your host, John Davis. Until next time, farewell. I know why I know why it's doing what it's doing. All right. Oh, how about now? Can you still hear me now? Can you still hear me? You can't hear me.